Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I have invited everybody to join us for worship at 8, 30, and 11. Uh, but right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic, and so we are not having worship in our building at 8, 30, and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world. And most of all, it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation. The Gospel is from John, chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I call you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him to in my name. I am giving you these commands, so that you may love one another. Here ends the reading. Hey, good morning, everybody. If we were all together in person, I'd start off and say, we're going to play a game of Price is Right called Higher Lower. Because I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to think of the answer in your mind. And again, if we're in person, we could shout out the answers, and i tell you whether you need to be higher or lower. But the question is, how many words does the English language have? How many words does English English language have? If you guessed more than a million words, you'd be correct. There is estimated to have 1,022,000 words. Now, I'm willing to bet none of you have a vocabulary of a million 22,000 words because more than half of those words are actually fringe. They're rarely ever used. It includes scientific names, you know, all this kind of stuff, very technical kind of jargon, but yet it's still a word and it still counts. Uh, If we just go by what's in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary or the Oxford English Dictionary, depending on what is gathering dust on your shelf, they're both right about the same if we were to play higher or lower. Take a guess in your mind. 470,000 words in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. 470,000 words. So that's not a lot of those scientific names, compounds, jargon, scientific stuff. Um, These are ones now that you might hear used somehow. But 
most of us, out of all those languages, even more than half of those are not even in common use. They, uh, linguist experts estimate that about 170,000 to 200,000 words are in current use. Uh, I'm still willing to bet you don't know 170,000 to 200,000 words. And it would take a long time for us to sit here and write them all down to see if we did. So how many words does a typical uh, person, average person's vocabulary have? Anywhere from 20 to 30,000 words. So uh, I'd say most of us here have a vocabulary 20 to 30,000 words. So what is interesting now, I'm gonna use one of those words in a sentence. I'm gonna use that word love because we have love used quite a bit in our gospel lesson this morning. I love Oreos. <laughs> I love Cheetos. I love tacos. I love the Chicago Cubs. I love warm fires on a cool night. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Out of all of those words, right? Over a million words, even out of our own vocabulary of 20 to 30,000 words, it is still acceptable to use that one word love to say how we feel about Oreos, how I feel about Oreos. You can use your own uh, example. And how we feel about our spouse or partner, how we feel about kids, and perhaps even most unfathomably, how God feels about us doesn't seem to do justice, right, that the same word can be used to describe how we feel about a food and how God feels about us. Now, the Greek language, the language in which um, much of the New Testament was written in, or the New Testament was written in, there isn't just one word for love. In New Testament, it used two different words, uh, but the Greek language had several different words for love. And we're going to go through three of them, and two of them are, are found in the New Testament. We have eros, E-R-O-S. Uh, that is where we get the word erotic from. You know, it's that passionate, intoxicating, take your breath away. You just need to somehow be with that other person, right? It just is what we feel at the beginning of a relationship. Oh, it is so intense between us, that eros. And then we have philio, uh, P-H-I-L-E-O. It's where the city name of Philadelphia, right? And Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. And so philio, you could say brotherly love, but it's a really deep friendship. It's, it's rooted in loyalty and trust and community. Um, but it's different than that eros, right? It's not meant for just one other person at that time, but it's meant for this group of people. You know, it could, it could be between friends, but it's different than that eros. It's, it's, uh, it's deep. It, it's built over time, right? And then we have agape love. And the best way to describe agape love is unconditional. It exists. It's not transactional in any way. It's not 
um, based on any kind of reciprocity. It is simply given freely, acted upon, without thinking about what's going to occur in return. The word for love that's used in our gospel lesson this morning is agape love. The love that is used to describe how God feels about us, how God acts toward us. I want to come back to that word feel. Is it how God feels about us? Or is it how God acts toward us? Because I think what we struggle with sometimes, because we really have such a hard command from Jesus, don't we? To love others the way we were loved. And we have in this passage, what greater love can someone give than to lay one's life down for a friend? The self-sacrificial love that simply acts. We have a really hard time. You know, Jesus will use that word love again. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Any of you have a hard time loving your enemies? Loving other people the way God loves us. And I think I'm beginning to understand a, a bit why perhaps that might be. So often we associate love with an emotion, especially that eros, that erotic love, that just intense, it, it, like I said, intoxicating, it fills us up, it's consuming, you can think of nothing else. But it's a feeling that we have deep down inside of us. And hopefully if you're in a relationship and that Eros loves, right, because that can be temporary, hopefully it resumes, but it's, it, you can't last at that level up here, right? Eventually you come down from that Eros love. And in uh, great marriages, uh, relationships, that Eros is replaced maybe by that filial love, that long-lasting, deep trust, commitment. There's a friendship there that's bit but it still has a feeling attached to it. And I think agape love, while there is a feeling, I wonder if the feeling inside is not what drives the action. Because I think so often how we feel towards someone will determine how we treat them. Do I like them? Do I not? Do I get along with them? Do I not? Do I, right? It's based on an internal thing. And we will treat someone well if we have good feelings inside of us. And I think agape love, what, what, is, what enables a self-sacrificing love, is when a decision has been made that says, I am going to treat you this way simply because of who you are. And I understand I may not always feel a certain way, but I'm not going to let the feeling, the feeling that can be really high or be really low, determine how I'm going to act towards you. Agape love, not that it doesn't have a base note of emotion behind it, but it is not predicated or dictated on that emotion. Agape love says, we are connected 
no matter what you do. And I'm going to treat you based on that connection and that connection alone. Which means you can be a jerk and I'm going to give you basic respect. It means you can hurt me and I will work toward forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you are just, you know, this agape love. You just let people walk all over you. But it means I am going to decide in a way ahead of time what our boundaries of the relationship are going to be and let that dictate how I behave towards you as opposed to how are you behaving toward me? How does that make me feel? And now let that determine what I'm going to do towards you. Because I think about what Jesus was able to do, right? This is this speech, you might say, or prayer, it's called the high priestly prayer. It is the la- part of a long list of sayings from John's gospel that we call the great discourse. So what happened back in John 11 or John 12 is that there was the last supper. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, according to John. And then over the next several chapters, Jesus now gives the disciples all of his final teachings before he is betrayed and crucified and died. So when Jesus and the author here is writing about, or Jesus is talking about, I'm going to lay down my life for one's friends, he is foreshadowing what is about to happen to him. And it's being written to this community, right? Again, that we talked about last week that has been kicked out, that's going to have some divisions among it. They've been kicked out of their local synagogue. They're ostracized. They're somewhere off. They're trying to figure out what this new life is like together. And if anyone knows when something new is occurring or there's this transition going on and there's uncertainty and there's uneasiness, it can be really hard not to let that anxiety become too much and let that dictate, right? This anxiety, this feeling within us whether it's fear or skepticism or whatever it might be. And because of the way I feel, that's the way I'm going to treat you. That's the way I'm going to treat others. And I think maybe Jesus is saying this agape love, the way I loved you, now you love each other, is because they are going to be in some turmoil, are in some turmoil, going to be in the midst of anxiety. And they need to have this base note that is going to ride them through it all that isn't going to, uh, their emotions are not going to determine what their actions are, but they are going to decide ahead of time, this is how we treat each other. This is how we behave. This is what is helpful. This is what is needed. And let that guide, because that is what will last, as opposed to, this the temporary emotional the highs and the lows and then let that be what comes pouring out of us i wonder if maybe jesus god right while god loves us and i think has this deep feeling within god's self about us god has made the decision on how God is going to act toward us with love, which means God is going to act with compassion, whether we deserve it or not. 
God is going to act toward kind with kindness. God is going to act with empathy. God is going to act toward reconciliation and salvation to bring all of creation together and is asking us to be part of it. To understand the bigger picture that's going on. Isn't it nice to be in those relationships? Not that you want to act like a jerk or that you really do it on purpose, but be in those relationships when you know you can let yourself go or you can let your guard down and you can be who you are because the other person will accept you for who you are. You aren't worried about putting on this show or this image or this front or this impress to impress somebody, but instead you can say, this is who I am, and you are in the presence of somebody that welcomes it, that accepts it, that nurtures it and cares for it. That's how God feels about us. That's how God feels about you. And that is our goal, whether we accomplish it or not. on how we treat each other. So you may know that God's love for you is everlasting. It will not fail. It will not end. Because God doesn't love you for what you have done. God loves you for who you are. God's child. Amen.